Thanks for tuning in to the 12th episode of Fair Mauvais Jean. We are interviewing local New York City legend, founder of Poppy Juice, Oscar. So listen up. been a six and a half year trajectory uh but uh so um i'm oscar enye that's my artist name and um i'm the resident dj and co-founder of poppy juice poppy juice is a collective and we're an art collective and consisting of two other members aside from myself so it's adam r 
who's my co-founder and co-resident DJ, and Mohamed Fayaz, who's our illustrator and um, art director. And we started throwing poppy juice in the summer of 2013. And um, that was Adam and I. At some point, we were out talking about just like our general frustrations with the mainstream gay scene. And I say gay intentionally here because we felt at the time that, like, obviously there were queer spaces that existed, but, you know, they weren't as, um, they weren't happening as often. And there's this thing about queer spaces as well, where there, you know, there's no dedicated, like this is and about queerness in general. Like I feel like there's never like a dedicated space for them, for like queer spaces. Like it's always like like most of the time it's like roving parties happening, sort of in different places, different venues, and stuff like that. So yeah, or like it's dependent on like what group of friends shows up. Exactly. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. Because you have, for example, like or yeah. Like you have like like Bossa Nova, I feel, or like Moodring and all of these other little bars and clubs around Brooklyn right now that I would call them queer, but it really depends actually, like you said, on what kind of groups of friends show up, right? To Adam and I felt a little bit like inaccessible. And then just like our general like frustration with just the gay spaces um where we felt like they were catering to men um that were white and that were muscular and that were just a little bit mainstream honestly and um that's i'm here for like those spaces existing because like i feel like everyone kind of needs their like scene and whatever but that's just like not a space for me and it never was Adam and I looked at each other and we're like, yo, like, let's do something. And that was like, I think something that was really empowering was just like being able to like, I don't know, like, that I would have had the the sort of strength to do that, you know, when I was younger, but it just felt right at the time in 2013 when I looked at Adam and we were both like, let's do it. Yeah. Like you, it seems like it was the right moment and you had the right company. Exactly. Yeah. And then... You were both living in Brooklyn at the time? Yeah, we were both living in Bed-Stuy. And this is like, Adam basically grew up here. He's like lived here since he was like eight or nine. And then I moved here nine years ago. And I've lived in Bed-Stuy the whole time that I've been here. And so we were at a local bar that we like to go to that doesn't exist anymore. And the manager at the time was our friend. And he was like, you guys should do it here. And we were like, okay. And then he's like, next week is open. Like, are you ready? And I was like, okay. (laughs) And so we, yeah, we had a week to come up with the concept, theme, artwork. And for me to learn how to DJ. (laughs) Yeah, because I had, like, never really DJed before that one time. So, um, yeah, so, like, that, that uh, yeah. And then, uh, um, so, yeah, so that that was, like, the start of Poppy Juice. 
So how, what was the first party? Like? What was that first night like? Um, the first night, obviously, like it was very unexpected, or not obviously, but for us, it was very unexpected. It was um, really fun because there were all of these people that were meeting for the first time that were excited to meet for the first time. And it was like an estranged family reunion kind of. And what's amazing is that to this day, like a lot of the people that were at that first party are still coming to the party today. And even if potentially some of us or some of them have grown out of going out, it's cool because like we found, we find ways not to like work together on things or like, yeah, just like. Still family. Was it kind of announced as like a, a bar night or like a dance night? It was a, definitely a dance night. So for us, it was funny because um, it was basically this tiny, tiny bar. And but this is, you know, before the like the silly like cabaret law was like. Um, yeah, exactly. And so the owners had a really hard, like they really wanted to make it like kind of like a, a cuter like space for dancing but the only way that they could that they could have a space for dancing was to make it so that like the bathroom where the bathrooms were that was like where people were that was like the dance floor because it was like this weird like like yeah just like licensing thing where you couldn't have a dance floor unless you had a cabaret license but then they figured out a way that it kind of looked like a dance floor but it was also like where people waited in line to go to the bathroom. <laughs> it's like, yeah, it was really, it just made people bond almost instant, instantly, you know? Yeah, you had to talk to them. You had to figure out what they were doing. Yeah, yeah, because like, it's like, I feel like nowadays people don't really talk at bars anymore. Or it's like harder to talk to people at bars, I find. But yeah, so like, that was cool, like that the, that from the jump, like people had to sort of start, like talk to each other, like build like this sort of like, uh, a relationship or even just like experience like joint experience of like waiting in line for the bathroom while also like dancing yeah it was really fun and i think for adam and i it was really important we both have very very different styles of genres of music that we enjoy and so we it was very important for us to just sort of draw on that and sort of play with that and so um for us to like also think about the diversity in terms of like like what type of music queer people of color sort of grew up listening to like but also enjoy listening to today and so it's it, it was kind of perfect like the way that we when we started djing together Que te 
We were hopping around for a while, trying to, from venue to venue, just trying to figure out like what felt good. And that was actually one of the hardest ch like challenges of our collective work and the existence of Papi was just trying to figure out like a venue that, that was, that felt supportive to us. Yeah, we, we just, heard everything from, oh, sorry, we already have a gay party here and we don't want to be known as a gay venue, to what if you all did maybe like a brunch service on a Sunday? That would work really well for us. Or no hip hop or Latin music allowed at this bar or... Just throwing crazy shit at you. Yeah, like it was like full, like, and this is from all different people, from all different venues in Brooklyn, in 2015, five years ago. So that's just not like a one-off. That's like, wow, these are the people that own businesses around here. Yeah, yeah. I think it's kind of changing now, which is amazing. And like, there are more people of color that are excited to like, th that are opening their businesses or there are actually just like more people of color in charge of like, uh, and, and also I have to say that there are more people of color that are supportive of nightlife or that understand nightlife that are in positions of power in terms of like venue control. But because a lot of these comments that I just mentioned were said to us by people of color. Did you land on a place that felt good after a while? Yeah, we were functioning out of Babies All Right in Williamsburg for a long time. And then we were there for a year and a half, I would say, or something like that. And it's funny because we you know, had really appreciated that venue for a while. And we were like, oh, like, this is a neat space. Like, I would, like, we would go to live shows there. And then I remember at some point, one of us brought it up and we were like, oh, like, it would be cool to throw a party here. And then we immediately said, oh, no, but they would never have us or like, we'd never be able to do that. But then we approached them and they were like, yeah, of course, like, let's try it. And so, we did a party there and only were doing the back room. And then they were like, oh, like that was a really successful night. Can you guys come back and actually take over the whole space? And so we were one of the first parties that was like at Babies All Right. And that was like taking over the whole, they would let us take over the whole space, which was really cool. And, um, so you had a really nice relationship with them. Yeah, for a while, the manager there had like a big soft spot for us and um, it was really sweet. And um, yeah, it was great. Um, but then again, we sort of started growing out of that pretty quickly. And that space, the capacity just hit a point where 
we would have a line at the door starting at like 11. I think they had like some like um, some leadership change or like the person that we were in touch with the most had to um, sort of move or I think he was like, oh, like, let me go somewhere or like I need, I, he had a career change or something. And so then we kind of just like, we were at, in a transition where we're like, oh, like, should we stay here or should we go somewhere else? And then we were booked to play something at elsewhere. And we like felt like we were like, oh shit, like this is like a really nice spot. And we reached out to them and we're like, hey, can we do a party here? And they were like, sure. And this is just when they opened. So they were like still figuring out how to work with promoters. And then that was the start of our journey with Elsewhere. Technically, like five areas, I would say. It's like the main room, the zone one room, which is like a, a smaller, darker room. The upstairs, which is more like a loungy feel. The rooftop. And then there's like a courtyard as well. Yeah, that's a huge, that's a huge endeavor. So you have up to what, like a few hundred people, like 800 people? On a regular night, uh, try doubling that, yeah. And that's like on winter months, in the summer. Summer, it's just it more. Yeah, because the rooftop being open adds like a few hundred to the capacity of the space.
like what a puppy juice party is now? Like maybe just describe what it's like inside. Yeah. So it's a bit of a maze because so the elsewhere, I feel like it functions almost as a, it's like a whole building, right? And we take over the whole thing. So people are going up and down like the building and then also like side to side, which is like where the rooms are. And um, it's funny because it still has that same sort of family house party vibe that it, we had at that really small bar in bed But now we just like made it just a little bit bigger <laughs> to accommodate a little, a few more people. And you can still walk around and like see just familiar faces and the same people come back again and again. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. The same people that have been coming to see us the, for the past six years are still coming back, which is to me like super moving, you know, just to see my friends that I've like sort of grown up with kind of now to see them still like supporting and still coming through. It's just, it's so sweet and really moving. And you get to do all of the music programming when it's your night, right? Yeah, all of it. So um, on a typical night, we'll, on a regular night, we'll work with 12 DJs, artists, performers. And that doesn't include everything that goes, all of the artists that we work with in background of things. So your whole, like your whole Poppy Juice staff and your team. Yeah, which is actually just what was the three of us for a really long time. And recently we got, we're, we are, we're getting help from a, like a friend of ours to do a little bit more of like the on-site like coordination because for the longest time it was just us like walking around and doing everything. Right, like doing like a night managers. Yeah, exactly. And DJing. And DJing. And hosting and having to feel out like the vibe or like take care of like a really drunk person. Yeah, so you have, like, split your body into four basically. Yeah, 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 yeah. Do you do some collaborations with other crews? Yeah, so um, we uh, we've done stuff with uh, Raga uh, NYC, which is sort of a celebration of like the Caribbean diaspora. Uh, we did stuff with we've done stuff with Bubble Tea, which is a collective that uh, focuses on celebrating like people of East Asian and Asian descent. And then uh, we did something with Gush as well. And so yeah, definitely we're we love collaborating with other people in nightlife, and it's funny because like for I felt like for a while like or sometimes people feel like there's like you know, like competition happening amongst people in nightlife. But for us, like it's always been about being just supportive of each other. And, you know, whenever I see somebody doing really well, like I'll message them and being like, yo, like, I really love what you're doing. Like, thank you so much. Like, it's like really important. It feels really important to me. It's like really important to me, at least, to see that your your success and to see that what you're doing is like changing or being, you know, celebrated in like a different way in New York City today.
There's so like you know the work since the work that we do is immediate or it may feel like immediate and has like a, a, a an ending like a definite ending to it. Sometimes it feels like like we only work for those hours that whatever it is exists, and I don't think people realize the amount of work it takes to book 16 artists, you know, negotiate with the venue, ha you know, have everything set up in the way that it gets set up night of. It's not, it's not like we just show up and it happens, you know, <laughs> like there's endless like amount of hours that are required to make the events that we work at what they are. Um, I wanted to ask you because it's so, I think so special and so singular um, about your, like the visual identity. Mm -hmm. um, so Mohammed Fayez, who's our illustrator, um, I think is sort of his style. It's crazy because his style just really took on our, the uh, visual identity for Bobby Juice and like, like made it so unique, uh, which is amazing. But essentially, like I met Mohammed on Tumblr in 2013 when I had just moved. That's something you don't hear anyone say anymore. I know, right? <laughs> that definitely like shows people how old, <laughs> how old 
I am, but it's okay. Yeah, Mohammed and I met on Tumblr, and then I was immediately drawn to his art, and I was just like, oh my God, this is so cool. And then by the fifth party that we were having, I was like, hey, like, we'd, we'd love to invite you to do a flyer for us. And I was like, I can pay you $30. <laughs> Because <laughs> that's like like the like the ratio of like income that we were getting from each night at that point, and really excited about it. It was he'll tell he tells the story better than me, but it was his first paid commission or like his first paid gig as an like artist. For a while, we were like, oh, like let's keep doing our own flyers, and then Adam and I would just sit at like Photoshop and work on them, and then. Um, Obviously not the same caliber of like <laughs> artistic, uh, uh, just yeah, quality. But um, and then after that, Muhammad was just like, "Well, like, why don't I just keep doing this for y'all?" And we were like, "Yeah, we were actually just gonna ask you if you wanted to join the collective and help us plan stuff and stuff like that." And he was just like, "Yeah, I'd love to." And so then Muhammad joined, uh, like six months later after he did like the first flyer for us. And then ever since, he's just been doing each flyer. Yeah, no, they're so good. And I think Mohammed is so amazing at just really getting inspired by our community and like the way that we look and which was something that for Adam and I was like super important from the beginning, just like figuring out a way that from the first moment that people interact, whether it is with our flyers, with our like SoundCloud mixes, with our like photos from the party, just like from that first moment or whether it is like walking through our doors. So from that first moment that people interact with whatever, with our work, we wanted them to know that they were seen or that, or that, you know, there was some sort of reflection of themselves in the work that we were doing. And I feel like Mohammed's flyers do that really well because he is so good at portraying like the vast, like identities that are ex like existing in our communities.
you know, like at this point, we're seeing such a like high level of people coming through our, our doors that definitely some people feel like they're just like a little bit lost. <laughs> um, so um, definitely that I, I don't necessarily see it as a like a threat or a challenge. I think it's part of growing in like in general that there are always good, like, and it's part of like inviting new people into your spaces. I think one of the biggest challenges for me has been to admit to myself that even though I may try to make this space as accessible and sort of open to everyone as possible from our communities, it isn't at the end of the day. And not everybody's going to feel reflected in the work that I'm doing and not everybody's going to enjoy it. And that's okay. And like how learning that was actually one of the biggest challenges for me in doing this work was sometimes it's as we get bigger, people forget that there's just three people doing this work that are queer, non-binary of different experiences of color. Um, and they feel like we're just this like faceless corporation or something. Right. No, you're human with very tender experiences. As exactly. Well. Yeah. People are people are rough. Yeah, really rough. And I feel the rise of Instagram made it even made people even rougher in a way. Do you feel like Poppy Juice, like the birth and like the kind of like life of Poppy Juice, was really made possible by being in New York City? Yeah, I think about this all the time. And um, it's funny because I'm super, super defensive of New York. When anybody starts talking shit about New York, I'm like, then get out of here. <laughs> you know, like, leave. If you don't like it, leave. If you can't live up to it, then leave. And New York is not for everyone, even though people feel like it, there's like a bit of everything and everyone here. It's actually not for everyone. And um, I'm very defensive about it because I feel like New York has given me everything that I have today. Like I wouldn't, yeah, to answer your question, I don't think Poppy just could have happened like in the way that it happened for us here, anywhere else. What's the, what's the origin of the name? How did you come up with that? It's, it's so, it's so catchy. It's just so fun to say, like, did it just like come up, like come to you? So yes, Adam is like, um, Adam is Belizean and American, and I'm from Honduras. And so we wanted something that sounded like Caribbean. I wanted something that sort of like alluded to a, like to my Latinx identity. And so we were just like throwing out words and I was like, like, and then, yeah, it was just like, Papi. And then I think Adam just said Papi juice or something like that. It was just like, like a brainstorm and it takes like a family to raise this baby. Yeah. We've been working hard together for a long time now. And it's really funny because as we were talking about with what it means to be queer and our experience, it's like, there's no blueprint for the kind of work that we're doing. And yeah. And so that's, what's kind of exciting and also terrifying about it is that, 
Fermo de som. Fermo de som. Fermo de som. Fermo de som. 